Good morning, everybody. Always good to have little Beatles on a Sunday morning, right? There you go. Uh, I did a little research this week. I didn't know what that song was about, so I figured if we're going to play it on a Sunday morning, I probably ought to know what it's about, right? Uh, that might be helpful. So I did a little bit of research, found out that that song is actually a song that was written, I think uh, John Lennon went through, was going through a divorce. His son uh, was actually, they wrote that song to his son uh, just to say, hey, it's going to be all right. And so uh, that's what that song was about. Um, but anyway, we're not here to talk about the Beatles. Uh, we're here to talk about the book of Jude, uh, which we find in the scriptures. And if you weren't here last week, uh, just let me give you a quick recap. Uh, Jude is a brother of Jesus. Uh, that's a heavy responsibility to be a brother of Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, Jude did not believe that his brother, Jesus, was the Son of God in the very beginning. We looked at that last week. Uh, but after the death, burial, and resurrection of his brother Jesus, he came to believe in it and buy into it. And he became a leader in the early church, uh, challenging the early church to contend for the faith, contend for the, the message that Jesus, his brother, was the Son of God. And that through faith in the Son of God that we can have salvation, that we can be made right with God. And so Jude is writing this letter, and he wants to talk about salvation, but there's something that's happening within the church. There's, a, there's those leaders who have come in that are pushing a message that's, that's alternative to the gospel. It's not the same thing, and they're looking to pad their pockets and make it about them. And so Jude is warning the church and saying, be careful of these, these shepherds. They come, and they are wolves in sheep's clothing, so be careful uh, that you don't get too close to them. And so the warning that Jude is giving us that we talked about last week is, so you've been set free in Christ, but don't use or abuse that freedom. Because some were saying, well, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. God loves me. Now I can do whatever I want to do. I can live my life however I want to live it because God loves me. How could he be upset with me or uh, judge me? So God loves me. And this is abuse of the freedom that God has given us through his son Jesus. And Jude is challenging that message and saying, no, your life as a follower of Jesus should reflect the love of God. Don't abuse that freedom. So that's what that message was last week. And so we're going to pick up on that this morning and we're going to talk about how to use the freedom that we have in Christ. So we're going to get a little more practical this morning. How do we use that freedom that we have in Christ to serve others? So I want to look at the passage with you. Um, So if you would, turn with me to the book of Jude. And again, Jude only has one chapter. So we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 25. And if you open the Bibles there in the pews, we'll be on page 1039 and 1040. If you would like one of those Bibles, I had somebody tell me after the first service that they really like that Bible and they like how it's laid out and they asked, could I have it? And I said, sure, that's why they're there. So if you would like to have one of those Bibles, uh, please feel free to take one and uh, have it for yourself. So let's look at this. I want to just look at verses 17 um, through 25. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in the most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. 
In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now, all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, and power and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. So again, last week we spent the time talking about uh, why it's important not to abuse that freedom. And at the very end, we looked at, or we started this idea of, well, how do I use my freedom then to serve others? So that's the question that we have. How do we use our freedom in Christ to serve others in love? How do we use that? And I want to challenge you this morning with this. I don't think you can. And you're saying, wait a second. You just set all this up to tell me that I can't do it. You're telling me that I can't serve others in love, even when Galatians chapter 5 says that that's the exact thing I should do. And I will say, no, in and of ourselves, we cannot serve others in love. I want to show you this, and we'll build to this, because I think we can do it, but not in and of ourselves. We need help. We need help to do this. And my fear is, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, what happens for us is we we get saved, We're introduced to Jesus, and we say, yeah, that sounds great. Jesus takes all my sin upon himself, and he gives me his righteousness. This is great. All right, God, thank you for setting me free from sin. And now I'm just going to go, what am I supposed to do? Oh, go love others. Go serve. Live moral lives. Don't give in to immorality and things like that. All right, God, I got it. Now I'm going to go do it without God. We just say, okay, I got the assignment, and now I'm going to go do it. See, our motivation on why we love others, why we serve others is so important. I want to take a minute to show you this. And I don't assume that all of you in the room are followers of Jesus Christ or even believe in God. And if you're here this morning and you don't believe in God, thank you for being here. Thank you for having the courage to walk into a place where you know we're going to talk about God and actually come and explore it. I want it to be a safe place for you to do that. But as I say this, as I lay out this worldview... Please don't take it that I'm mocking you or that I'm trying to make fun of you in any way. But I want us to be able to think clearly about this, deeply. Go a little deeper than just the surface. So what I was going to do was I was going to bring in a box of Legos because I think this is the best way to to talk about this. I was going to bring in a box of Legos and I went to my kid's room and uh, there's tons of Legos, right? More Legos than we know what to do with. Are there any boxes for those Legos? No. Okay. All the boxes are gone, right? There's instructions that are all ripped apart, but there's no, no Legos. But so you guys have a good imagination, so you can imagine this, right? So say I have a box of Legos, and on the outside of the box is a plane. Well, you would assume that all of the Legos that are in that box will help you build that plane. And if you follow the instructions, it will, it will put the plane together, right? Well, if you were to take that box, because this is what I think the atheist worldview is, or if you buy into evolution, this is what I think you're buying into, Maybe we could have a discussion about it later. But you're buying into the idea, all right, that these cells came together, right? There's maybe a big bang. There's multiple theories out there. But in some way, these cells came together, mutated, and throughout millions and millions of years, it evolved, and then life came. So what I think you're saying is you take that box of Legos, and you pour it out on the table, and you get a plane. 
That's all you have to do is pour it out. Pour out the right ingredients and you'll get what you're looking for. And you can keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And I think it takes a lot of faith, a lot of faith to believe that that's where life came from. I think it takes a lot of faith to believe that. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up, why do I talk about that? Well, what's the motivation to serve others? Because people who don't believe in God can be some of the most loving, gracious, kind people on the face of the earth. Well, why are they that way? See, I think this motivation is so important that we understand this because I would challenge that the overwhelming majority, and this is probably true for Christians as well as non-Christians, but the overwhelming majority of us, and the reason we love others is because in some way it benefits us. See, it all comes back to us, right? If I love my wife and I care for her and I do things, there's certain benefits to me and it'll pay off for me, right? comes back on me, right? If I love my kids and treat them well and do well, then I can be proud of what they become and who they are. Again, it becomes about me, right? If I respect authority, if I respect the police and the government, right, then they're not going to come after me. I'm not going to end up in jail. It benefits me, right? So most of our, and you could tell, you could go further than this. You can go to people who give a lot of money to charitable organizations, Bill Gates, Right? Gives a lot of, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. I've never heard him claim faith. But he gives a lot of money to charitable organizations. Why? Because it's a tax benefit to him. I'm not saying that's the only reason he does it, but there's a, there's a benefit. Do you see? So oftentimes when we're serving others, we're benefiting ourselves in some way. But the gospel is that we serve others in a way that it doesn't necessarily have to benefit us. It's about the other people. And so this is so, so important. Now, the Christian worldview is entirely different. See, the Christian worldview says that each and every person is created in the image of God and that each and every one of us is valuable. So for me to love another person is to say, I love this person and I'm going to serve this person because they were created in the image of God. We're created by the same God. God loves them whether they know it or not. And I want to serve them to the glory and honor of God. Now, we know that sin has come in and marred this and smudged it, and sometimes it's not even recognizable anymore. But as you look at like a mother who loves a son or a daughter and serves that child, selflessly serves that child, right? There's image of God. I think of the soldiers that are in war and the soldier that will throw themselves on the grenade for the sake of his brothers and sisters that are around him. That's sacrifice, self-sacrificing love. To give yourself up for somebody else or a neighbor who finds out that his, his other neighbor is wounded, can't mow the yard anymore. I'll mow it. You mean all summer? Yeah, I'll mow it all summer. Why? Because I love you. I'm serving you in love. So there's traces. We see this. Now, Here's what I want to get into. How do we do this? So we talk about, I'm saying that you can't do this in and of yourself, talking about motivation. I think the motivation conversation is really important. What motivates you to love somebody else and how do you serve someone else? I think we really got to think about that. How do I do that? Why do I do that? Well, what I'm going to suggest to you today in how we do this, serve others in love, is by becoming more dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. I believe it's through the Holy Spirit 
that we do this. I want to show a couple verses to you, a couple passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. It is God who enables us. Who is it that enables us? God. Are you awake? You here with me? All right. It's God that enables us, right? Along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing what? The Holy Spirit in our hearts. What does it mean that he's placed it in our hearts? Not the, the blood pumping organ that's in our chest. When the Bible refers to heart, it's talking about our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's the decision-making mechanism within a person. And then the Holy Spirit now dwells in there. So if you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is now there inside of you. And it's our first installment that guarantees everything that he has promised to us. The Holy Spirit is there as a promise. And Jesus said that he would not leave us alone. He would not leave us as orphans, but he would send the counselor, the one who will come and intercede for us. So the Holy Spirit is present in our lives. But I hear very few Christians talk about the Holy Spirit because it gets really weird really fast for us. And I get it. I get it. But we got to get over that weirdness, church. We do. And if you're here and you are not a believer in God, this just got real weird. And I get it. Just stay with me, okay? Try anyway. But here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. And I think this will answer the question for the atheist as to why is the church, the church talks about love and kindness and grace, but the church causes a lot of hurt and pain and there's, there's a lot of heartache within the church. Why is that there? And the answer I would give to you is because I think we're trying to do it on our own. We said, all right, God, thank you for saving us. Thanks for dying. Now we're going to go do this on our own. And the more we run on our own, the more we act like we're atheists. The more you try to live life for God without God's presence in you or with you, it's the more you're saying practical atheism. You're living out atheism saying, I don't believe that God is with me. You might believe it in your head, but you don't give it any service or time in your life. All right, so I want to ask some questions. Ask some questions here. And this is mainly to the Christians in the room. How are you overcoming sin in your life? That sin that haunts you. That sin that you know has been there for most of your life. How you overcome that? Just continue to white knuckle it and bear down? Not going to give in to that anger. Even though I'm so angry right now. Not going to give in. Right? How are you being merciful toward those who doubt? It's a huge one. Jude tells us. Be merciful to those who doubt the faith. And oftentimes what I hear Christians do is we get, we get really loud at people who doubt. And we get really angry. How can you doubt that there's a God? How can you believe in evolution? Jude says, be merciful to those who doubt. So how do you do that? How are you rescuing those around you that have fallen into sin? So somebody falls into sin, do you crucify them? Not hanging out with them anymore. Delete them from my Facebook page. Not going to be their friend. Or are you running in their direction saying, no, 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 no. Let me help you. Let me help you out of that. This is hurting you. So are we rescuing those who have fallen into sin? And the last one. How are you remaining in your relationship with Christ Jesus? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you deny the power of of the Holy Spirit, you're denying 
God. So if you're saying, hey, Jesus and I are cool, I'm not sure about the whole Holy Spirit thing. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we connect with God and Jesus Christ. So I'd ask you those questions, and I gave you the answer. It's by the Holy Spirit. That's how you do it. It's by the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. Now, I want to look at a couple verses with you in Jude here. First, uh, let's look at chapter 1, book of Jude. It's the second part of Jude. And Jude uses this term that I think is really important that we can miss. And he says this, he says, I am writing to all of you who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. Who is doing the keeping here? Oftentimes we think, well, I've got to keep myself in my relationship with God. Who's the one who does the keeping? God. Go back to verse 24. To verse 24. Jude says this, Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Again, who is it that does the keeping? It's God that does the keeping. It's God that keeps us in his grace. Parents, if you are in here and you have a child that is wayward and running from God, this should be your prayer right here. Verse 24, the one who is able to keep them from falling away. God, I can't do it in and of myself. Will you please keep them in your care? that they might know your love, your grace, and live through the spirit that I know you placed inside there and they're struggling so bad. But I know that you're able to keep them and present them without fault. Present them without fault on the day of glory. It's God who keeps us. It's God who keeps us. We're not doing that much. I want to give you an illustration here because I can see you need it. You need an illustration. I'm boring you. Um, so how many of you have gone to the beach? Yes? Yeah. All right, most of you. So when you're at the beach, they might have these other places, but I only think of them at the beach. Um, so how many of you have ever taken a ride on one of these? It's called a Surrey. Yeah, most of you? Okay, Surrey bike. Fun. This isn't my family. We just pulled this off the internet. Although it could be, but then we would have to have kids like sitting on the top or somewhere else because we have too many for that. Uh, so a Surrey bike, and we were down in Ocean City, New Jersey a couple years ago, two years ago. Kids wanted to get one of these. They're like, yeah, let's get a, a Surrey and go for a ride on the boardwalk. And I'm like, all right, so you guys are going to help? And they're like, yeah, sure, we'll help. So we get in, and we're riding, and things are great for the first, like, five minutes. And then all of a sudden, I'm thinking, like, our tires certainly must be going flat, because this thing is getting either I'm really old and out of shape, or something's happening here, because it's getting a lot harder to pedal. And then I realized that my companions, the ones who are supposed to be pedaling with me, have kind of given up and they're creating like drag on the pedals. Their feet are on the pedals and they're giving like going through the motions, but there's no drive anymore behind what they should be doing, right? They should be helping. Well, this is the illustration that I want to give you. This is, I think, how we become dependent on the Holy Spirit. Just stay on the bike. I was more than happy to do the pedaling for my kids, even though at first I was a little frustrated, but then I'm like, all right, I'll let them enjoy the scenery. I'll do all the work. The Holy Spirit is more than happy to do the work for us. You just stay on the bike and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. Allow the Holy Spirit to create the drive in your life. 
And you might be sitting here and saying, I've never even thought about the Holy Spirit in my life. What, what on earth are you talking about? Well, it starts with acknowledging his presence. And even beyond that, Romans chapter 8 says, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we don't even know how to intercede for ourselves. So that means the Holy Spirit inside of you is praying to God for you on your behalf. That's pretty awesome. But what we need to do is acknowledge that his presence is there. Acknowledge that he is there and doing the work. Start listening, asking, God, speak to me through the power of your Holy Spirit. Stop denying his presence. So much we could get into here. I just don't have enough time to do it. But don't deny his presence. Understand it. Look, look at verse 19 with me in Jude. All right, those teachers that were coming in to the first century church, they were creating division. And Jude makes a really strong statement here. And he says they're following their natural instincts. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. If you do not have the spirit of God in you, you will follow your natural instincts. The humanness inside of each and every one of us, we will follow that. And what Jude is saying here is they're following their natural instincts because they don't have the spirit of God in them yet. And they're not dependent on it. See, and people will, people will claim, people will say, well, Christianity is just a, it's just a crutch. You need something to help you get through life. And I would say to that person, absolutely I do. You don't even know how bad it is. You don't know how bad it is. I need more than a crutch, okay? Because I recognize the sinfulness within me. I recognize how bad it is. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, and the blood of Jesus, that I am redeemed. So yes, I do. I need that to get me through life. And I'll wear that with honor. Because I think that it's the reality of who we are. I think we all need it. So look, go on with me. Verse 20. But you, dear friends, you, you're different. That's what he's saying. He's making a distinction But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. So we're here to encourage one another. Build each other up. Don't tear each other down. And then pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't just your run-of-a-mill, sit down at dinner time, thanks God for the food, you're great, on we go. But this is actually sitting down and saying, God, I want to surrender to your spirit. I want to hear from your spirit. I want to be in connection with you. Help me to be submissive and surrender to what it is you want me to do. Open my eyes to the needs around me that I could see the people that you want me to serve, that you want me to love on. Praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a different verse here. I'll show you a couple more things about the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The only way that we can proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and master of our life is through the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing. I get around people and I talk to them about God and we can have a God conversation. We can talk about God. But you start bringing Jesus into the conversation and that Jesus is the only way to heaven and Jesus is the only way to salvation. Let's not go there. It's because of this. It's because the Holy Spirit has to be working inside of a person for a person to come to be able to claim Jesus as Lord and master of their life. I'll give you another passage in the Holy Spirit here. 
So Paul says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We look at that and say, what in the world does that mean? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You mean I only have part of the Holy Spirit in me? You mean I only got a quarter of the Holy Spirit? Like a glass of, of water, right? You, you think a glass of water is like, fill it up, right? Pour it out so it overflows. We go back to Psalm 23. David says, my cup flows over, right? But what I think this, what really happens here is this English word doesn't help us as much. Because what I really think that Paul is getting at here is that we're, this is more of yield to the Holy Spirit. Surrender control to the Holy Spirit in your life. So that would be my question to you. Are you yielding your control of your life over to the Holy Spirit or is it all on you? It's what I want to do. This is how I want to live it. These are the decisions I want to make. If it's all on us, then we're not yielding to the Holy Spirit. I'll give you another example. I'll give you some picture imagery to help you understand this. So we just came out of the fall season. Uh, if you go to football games, you'll see a marching band there. College marching bands are pretty amazing. They don't get a lot of credit, uh, but they're pretty amazing, the things that they do. Or if you went to a fair, New Holland Fair, Ephrata, you see in these parades, you see marching bands, right? Now, I admit to you, I don't know anything about a marching band, nothing except what I can see, right? I've not, I have no musical talent in me whatsoever. So I talk to people who do to help me with this, uh, this metaphor, this picture for you. So as I was talking to them, they said, well, listen, the marching band is completely dependent on the director. The director of the marching band is the one who is guiding each one of them. And when you watch them, they walk in unison if they're good, all right? Now, if you're watching the sixth grade marching band, you might not get this, this analogy, but they're really good, and they walk in unison, right? And they play in unison. They play together, and they're all following the direction of what? One leader. One leader. Now, what happens to the church? What happens to God's people? If we're all connecting with the Holy Spirit, praying through the Holy Spirit, what happens? We all begin to walk in unison, Unity in the body of Christ is all about yielding control to the Holy Spirit. We're yielding to the one who God has put in place to direct us. So we can walk in unison and unity together and love on people as a community. As a community. Did I say that word right? Community. It didn't sound right. We can love people as a community. We can walk with them and serve them and love on this community that God has placed us in, in unison, not fighting back and forth. See, what happens is when we get power plays in the church and other things like that and stuff that the church or people from the outside world look in and say, I don't want any part of that. There's backbiting, there's fighting, there's hurting each other. Got plenty of that out here. I don't need that in there. It's because we're not walking in step and yielding control to the Holy Spirit. And that's on us. Because we're trying to do it on our own. Rather than depending on him to lead us. Another point that somebody made to me when I finished this. They said, you know, you didn't play that metaphor out totally. And I like when people feel freedom to speak into my message. It's good. And he said, you know, all the practice that goes on that people don't even see. You go watch a marching band at a football game and the people are walking different directions and all over the place, but they're all doing it in a way that it comes back together because of the amount of hours that they put in before they ever got to that field. That director, 
They're doing something, but all the work was done prior. It was done before the event. In our own lives, when you're sitting at home, alone in the morning or at night or whenever you have time, and you're sitting there with God and you're saying, God, help me to surrender to your Holy Spirit. How is it that you want me to live this life that you've given me? What is it that you want me to do? See, all that work that's being done back there in the quiet, then when we come together as a group of people, we walk in unison because we've been hearing from the same director the whole time. The whole time. So when Jude tells us, walk in the power or pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what we should be doing. Now, I gotta, I gotta get to the end of this because I think this will help to wrap all of this up, all right? So let me, let me key in on a word here and we'll bring this back into to relying on the Holy Spirit. Let me key in a word here that, that Jude keys in on. It's a word that most of the other writers in the New Testament, they will use, but not like Jude does. Not as often. Most of the other writers will talk about the grace of God where Jude talks about mercy. It's very interesting, this word mercy. It comes up four times. You might not think four times in a book is very often, but it's only 25 verses. And it comes up twice within these last uh, three or four verses. So it's important that we key in on what does this word mercy mean? Well, all of us love mercy, right? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. It's someone having compassion on us. So whenever you get pulled over and the officer walks up to your window, what are you hoping for? Mercy, right? Mercy. Have mercy on me. I know it said 25. I thought 45. Have mercy. I was driving responsibly, right? Mercy. We want compassion, right? You get that notice in the mail that you missed the deadline for your credit card payment, right? You were off by one day. You thought it was the 20th and it was the 19th. What do you want? You want mercy. You call that person up on the customer service like, hey, I, I just, I got it in a day late. I'm sorry. You want that person to have mercy on you. And if they go by the letter of the law, you now owe them $35 or whatever the late fee is, right? That's what happens. But we want, when we mess it up, when we mess up in a relationship and we go to that person and say, hey, will you please forgive me? We want mercy. But when we are wronged, when someone's done wrong to us, what do we want? Justice. Give me justice. That needs to be made right. But what Jude is pushing us towards is be merciful, compassionate to one another. Be understanding of one another. Look at this passage with me. Verse 22. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. So if you're in this room and you're questioning all of this that I'm talking about, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, faith in general, you're just questioning it, then my attitude, our attitude as a church towards you should be merciful, compassionate. We want to hear your questions. We want to answer those questions. We want to hear your doubts. We want to walk with you. We want to push through this stuff with you. I'm not afraid of those questions. I'm not afraid of the doubt because Jesus wasn't afraid of it. So let's talk about it. Let's be compassionate towards each other. Then he goes on and it progresses. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. So those who have fallen into sin, how should our activity or our posture towards them be? Be compassionate towards them. Go rescue them. What happens in the church sometimes is somebody falls down into sin and we just either kick them over or we walk away. It's yours to deal with. That's a mess. You get that thing straightened out, you can come back. But that's not what the scriptures tell us we should do. We should be running in there 
to go rescue him. And I think of Celebrate Recovery. It's a perfect example. Somebody's fallen into alcoholism, pornography, something else. Our response should be, how can we come and how can we help you? Because there might be a day that I'm laying in that ditch and I need you to come help me out of it too. We should be running to rescue each other. And we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on and it progresses even more. He says, show mercy to still others. So there's another category, to still others. But do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. God hates what is evil. He's opposed to pride, right? He hates what is evil. Sin is evil. God hates it. And he wants us to hate it as well. But at the same time, we need to be compassionate to the people and run to try to rescue them. We can hate sin. We can hate sin, but be careful with how you treat people because they're created in God's image. All right, let me, let me close with this because we, we need to get down to the end here. So how do we use our freedom? How do we use our freedom to serve others? And I said through the power of the Holy Spirit, let me give you this example. Uh, and I think this will kind of wrap it up for us and, and really help us to understand how we do this. So Jesus is the ultimate example. When we look to Jesus and how he lived his life, this is the ultimate example of dependence on the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that Jesus was taken out, ushered into the wilderness to be tempted, out into the desert by the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus was dependent on the Holy Spirit. He was in connection with the Holy Spirit his whole existence while he was on earth. And that's a big, complex conversation. We could have that some other time. We don't have time now. But look at how Jesus responded to those who were hurting and those who were in sin. I'll give you an example. It comes in Luke chapter 7. So there was this really religious guy, lived a great moral life, strong, prominent religious leader within the church. And he invites, he invites Jesus over to his home for a meal. Hey, come over to my home. I want to get to know you. You're, you're, you're teaching all over the land here. I want to understand who you are. But he's proud in and of himself. He's proud of his morality. He's proud of the things that he's accomplished. And so into this party walks this uninvited person, this woman who found out that Jesus was in town, who her whole life, and the scriptures describe her this way, she lived a sinful life. We don't know exactly what she did, we can assume, but she lived a sinful life. And she found out that Jesus was in town, and so she wanted to come and express her heart to Jesus. So she comes to Jesus, she comes into this place uninvited, and she falls at Jesus' feet, and the tears that are coming from her eyes are washing Jesus' feet, and she uses her own hair, because she doesn't have anything else, she uses her own hair to wipe Jesus' feet And the religious man, that prominent guy who's proud of his morality, looks at Jesus and says, surely he is not a prophet. Because if he was a prophet, he would know who was at his feet crying. This man was so bound up in his own religion, in his own works, in his own pride, that he was unable to have compassion on a person who was hurting. But Jesus, in the freedom that he has in in the Holy Spirit, he wasn't bound to all those other rules. All the religious rules that we put in place, Jesus wasn't bound to those. And he could sit and allow this woman to weep at his feet and he could look at her and say, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You've been set free 
because he was functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit and he was able to serve somebody else. He wasn't stuck on religious rules. Here's what happens in the church is we have all these boxes that we make and we add to all of the things that God has told us and we add to it. And we start getting really scared about getting outside of those walls. But the freedom that the Holy Spirit gives us is to say, hey, I'm working in that person's heart. Go talk to them. Go put your hand on them. Go serve them. Go love them. Give some money to help them. Be compassionate. And everybody else might look at you and say, why are they walking with that person? Why are they serving them? But you're free in the Holy Spirit to go and serve somebody else because God's putting that burden, that calling in your heart to do it. So as I close, I just challenge you in this. Use your freedom. Use the freedom that God has given you. He set you free from sin. You don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to walk in fear. Be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Be reliant on the Holy Spirit. And use that freedom to go bless others. Let's pray. Father, I give you all the honor and glory and praise. Father, I confess to you, I have much to learn about walking in the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not deny your Spirit's power, not deny the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Father, I ask that you would make us sensitive to your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would take these hearts of stone and make them hearts of flesh. Lord, so often we put all our faith in the things that we can see, but you tell us, trust in the things that are unseen because you are at work there. Father, I pray that you would help us to be people of great compassion and as Jude says, merciful. May we be merciful. May we be seen as a place that is exactly that, compassionate, merciful, and that people would be drawn and say, well, how is it that these people are so merciful, merciful and compassionate. God, we praise you. We give you the honor and glory and we bless your name. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.